Till I'm Tiptoed you. Dot com. The podcast about pop culture, black history, and spirituality. Yeah. It's about to be a great vibe. Dr. Tip. Gonna take it away. Till I'm Tiptoed you. joining me for another edition of Tell Em Tip Told You. I hope everything is going well for you guys. It's been a minute since we last chatted. Um, there are some things I want to talk to you about today. Um, some of them are a rewind on some things I've discussed before, but specifically, let's hit up the Black Panther. I haven't spoken to you guys about that yet, and I'm still not ready to do so. I'm going to tell you what I mean by that in just a second. I want to talk about some epiphanies that have come to me over the last few days and some things I've been struggling with. I want to be completely transparent on that. I want to talk to you about the importance of community, and then I want to tell you about a class I'll be offering later this month. So let's just jump right in. So, you know, on that very, I think the very second episode I ever did of Tell Them to Told You, I reported to you that I am sick of think pieces. Like, there is always, when something big happens in popular culture, there's always this mad rush to create think pieces as quickly as possible. And I think the problem with that is when you're rushing to be the first person to get a byline, you're probably not doing your best thinking. And so the think piece is bullshit anyway. (laughs) Um, And I think that part of what has been frustrating me is the level of shallowness that a lot of people are investing when they write about the Black Panther uh, as the film as a film. Uh, for example, I saw someone published a think piece on the African cosmology incorporated in Black Panther, and I was very excited to read it because that's kind of what I do, right? That's what I, I study. And when I looked at it, it was so superficial, so superficial, and so vague. There was no specificity in in the piece. I was completely disgusted, but I think that's what tends to happen when we're rushing to be the first to, you know, communicate some of these ideas. There's nothing wrong with waiting. So I have a lot of thoughts about that film. I've seen it four times already. I'm probably going to see it my fifth time later this week. Um, because it is so layered, Ryan Coogler has such a tremendously sophisticated mind that the film imagery and uh, the subtext it's just so deep and so complicated and so nuanced that I think it delivers it it, uh, deserves excuse me a close look a close watch and a lot of deep thinking before I even attempt to not only write about it but just run my mouth about it I just want to see it some more now Anybody who knows me knows I'm Killmonger for life so far. I haven't found any reason uh, not to like the brother. I know there are people out here who are calling him misogynist. I think that's a label that he he had not earned on the screen. I think we're overlaying, projecting some things onto him that weren't necessarily there. He was a killer. I don't think he checked for vaginas before he killed people. But, you know, that was just, he did not. I think the one thing that to me demonstrates how people aren't, critically engaging that piece is that he does not dismantle the Dora Milaje. So if he was a misogynist, um, I don't know that he would trust 
women to be his not only and they they continued to sit on the council women were also on the council so you know I I, I just I don't know I don't know like I said I want to think through some things before I could be wrong I don't think I am but I could be wrong I want to think through that some more but it it um in terms of uh, the imagery, the powerful imagery of seeing women completely in control of their own bodies and their strength and um, their allegiance to or, or lack thereof to political entity and things like that was just it was refreshing to see it on the screen. I think these are powerful images for our students to see in terms of Shuri and her brilliance, right? And and those of us who are Marvel nerds, we know that she's probably the smartest person in the Marvel con uh, Marvel universe, um, smarter even than Tony Stark's, and T'Challa is richer than Tony Stark's. It's just it's it's. I think we needed those images right now politically. Socially, I'm not one of those. There are some Hotepi type people out here who are frustrated because they think it's mindless entertainment. And I don't think there's anything mindless about it. Malefe Asante told us a while ago that there is no such thing as art for art's sake in African culture. I think what we're seeing is the presentation of possibility. And when we think about what is possible, I think we can make it happen. Right? So... That's why artists are so important to a culture. You've heard me say before that I think art is sacred. And that's why I'm so careful the way I critique it. I think art can, good art can do what it has been doing. And that is to get people to think more deeply about the social political realities we live in, the economic realities we live in, what, what would happen if we turned completely inward. Right. And is it possible to turn completely inward and remain whole? Those kind of questions, I think, are powerful questions that the film has brought up for me. And again, I, I think I'm going to end it there because I, I, I don't I don't want to say anything I'm not ready to say. And I want to continue to think about it. I don't think four viewings is enough yet. Like it's some stuff there I really want to unpack, especially um, in the field of study that I am. There are some things that I want to write about, but I want to be sure I want to be careful when I write about it. But if you haven't seen it, go see it. If you have already seen it, see it again, right? Let's let's because I think it's I think there are some messages there that our spirits will get even if consciously we don't. So I think it's important to to take care of our artists um, and what they create. And I just I I just want to love up on that cast. What what has touched me as much as the film itself are the the post interviews um, of the cast when they're interacting with one another. I think what we see is fictive kinship at work and I don't like that term but that's the scholarly term fictive kinship at work so kin not related necessarily by blood but black folk form family pretty well when we're engaged in good work together and it's it's powerful to me to hear the stories uh, these these actors are speaking with with such clarity and confidence about things that our best thinkers aren't presenting to us. I think we need to pay deeper attention to these folk and I'm just in love with it. I'm completely in love with it. Um, so let me tell you what's been going on with me. And I think the black, all of this is going to be related. It, it probably is going to seem a little disjointed right now. Um, but I promise I can try to wrap it up for you, uh, towards the end of it. So let me tell you about what's been going on with me. Some of my close friends know um, some of my uh, acad fellow academics know because of the nature of what's happening. 
But Albany State University has decided to right-size its faculty, which means that a bunch of us got letters of non-renewal. We are being laid off essentially at the end of the semester, and I am one of those people. I was the newest in the College of Education, the last hired, so of course I was the one who got the finger to go. Now, in light of that, um, I'm in a place where I'm not sure what I want my... Mm, I was not sure on what I wanted my next steps to be. And I think I needed to be in this space uh, for a number of different reasons. First, let me say, let me, first, let me say this. You have to be very specific with your prayers. Uh, you've probably heard me say, I hate this town I live in, that I love my job, but I hate the town I live in and I'm, I'm ready to leave. And if you know me personally, you probably heard me say, I'm ready to go back to Atlanta. Um, spirit will give you exactly what you ask for. So you have to be careful how you ask for it. So I asked for the opportunity to move. Ha, ta-da, I got it, right? So now I just got to be prayerful about having a job uh, <laughs> at the end of the semester. But, you know, all things work together for the good of those who do good work. Um, so I, I'm trusting that I'll end up where I'm supposed to be. But it has put me in a bit of an existential crisis mode, or it had. I am, I am out of that now, but that's why I've been a little vacant, a little ghost. Um, I wanted to work through what was going on with me. And I want to share it with you. Uh, I want to be completely transparent with you because I, I know if I've gone through it, then I can't be the only person who has these kinds of feelings when things like this happen. One of the things I think we do is we allow our profession to become our identity. And so if someone were to ask me, what do you do? I probably would say, you know, I teach at a university. I'm a teacher educator. I'm a scholar. You know, I, the answer would be one of those things. Now, the question becomes, if you allow your profession to become your identity, what happens to you when the profession is no longer there? Right? So it put me in a, I'm telling you, an existential crisis. Who am I if I'm not Tiffany the professor? Like teaching is such an integral part of what brings me joy. I enjoy what I do. Um, I hope my students think I'm good at it. I, I think I'm good at it. I enjoy what I do and my students bring me joy. Um, but but if that's not who I am or if that potential to work with people is taken away professionally, then who does that leave Tiffany to be? And it, it's been hard because, you know, it's a little shameful. I'm not embarrassed about the, the right sizing position. It was through no fault of my own. My letter says it ain't my fault. right? So I know I didn't do anything wrong and I still can put my CV up against anybody else's and feel quite comfortable in the comparison. So I, I'm not embarrassed about being right size, but I am embarrassed in case I can't find another academic job. Like if I don't become, if I'm not a professor after May, I, it, I was wondering what response will I give to people when they ask me who I am and what I do. And it really has taken spirit to clarify for me. Through, and let me say this, spirit speaking through my friends and family to remind me that who I am is not linked to how I make my money. It can be. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. Um, I think I will always, until the day I take my last breath, I really believe that I'm a teacher. 
Like, I, I am that. And I really believe until I take my last breath, I'm going to be a scholar. I'm going to be an activist. Those things will not change, even if how I make my money does. And I had to get to a point, and I think all of us have to get to a point where we can separate ourselves from the way we earn our income. Right? If you introduce yourself as an entrepreneur, you are linking yourself to the way you make your income. If you introduce yourself as a, um, whatever you do, uh, the CEO of a bank, then you are linking your identity to that, the way you make your income. But is that really who you are? Like when you stand before judgment, whatever judgment looks like for you in your culture, in your traditions, when you stand before judgment and you have to give an account for who you have been, I don't think the almighty cares how you made your money. Like, I don't think he's looking at your 1099 or your, you know, 1098 or whatever. I don't think he's looking at those things. I think he's looking at, uh, or he or she, I'm being real Western right now. I think it is looking at, um, how you did your life purpose, how you did your life's work. And I think I had to come and I think this situation happened to me because I needed to be clear that Tiffany is not how Tiffany makes money. And that even if the way I make money changes, who Tiffany fundamentally is will not. Not if I'm secure, not if I'm grounded. And I think I'm pretty grounded in, in what I believe and what, what I do. Um, so that won't change. The means by which I make my money may change, but it, I remember when I graduated with an undergraduate degree in psychology and I was thinking about what I wanted to pursue my graduate de uh, degree in, my master's degree in. Um, part of me wanted to go on and get the master's in psychology so that I could practice and potentially make more money, but the other part of me was completely married to the idea of doing a black studies master's degree. And I was having this, you know, this tough decision to make. And I remember we had a, a visiting professor um, from Zimbabwe by the name of Vimbai Chivaora Ibae Baatudu. And Dr. Chivaora, um, he sat me down and he said, my dear, there's a difference between a vocation and a calling. You can run from a vocation. You can walk away from a vocation. You cannot run from a calling. So whatever it is you're supposed to be doing, and this is what he was saying, in other words, whatever it is I'm supposed to be doing, I'm going to do it, right? The way that my money comes, it'll come another way, but I'm responsible for doing the work that I was put on this earth to do. Um, I just wanted to share that with you in case anybody else is in a similar boat. You know, I think we put so much pressure on ourselves to impress the people around us without giving much thought to ensuring that what we're really doing is impressing upon the ancestors, the God, the Orisha, the whatever spirits are responsible for you being here, I got to answer to them and to make sure I'm doing what I'm supposed to do for them. And if I do that well, guess what? They'll provide for me. That's what faith looks like. So I'm in that place now. I'm in a better place. I'm still hustling. So if you know uh, some people doing some hiring at universities and colleges, you hit a sister up. Um, but I, I, I want to make sure that what I do ultimately speaks to me. And I also want to leave a legacy. I want to be one of those people. I want to be on somebody's shrine, right? I want to be on somebody's bovara. 
I want somebody to say thank you for the work that I did. I want to be a September Clark to somebody. I want to be a Zora Neale Hurston to somebody. I want to be, you know, a W.E.B. Du Bois for somebody. I want to be a Bayard Rustin for somebody. I want to be an Ella Baker for somebody, a Fannie Lou Hamer for somebody. And I got a lot of work to do before I can even think about trying to fill any of those shoes. Um, and so that needs to be my focus, not necessarily on um, what my W-2 looks like at the end of the, the year. That being said, um, and something else that's been on my mind lately is the power of community. Um, I think it's important that we understand that we belong to community. That, and and this is a very African way of thinking about things. So if you know if you're completely Westernized, it might sound strange because the United States is all about rugged individualism, right? But many um, Eastern cultures believe that community should be privileged over the individual. Now what that means now that doesn't mean that the individual is not valued because the individual is recognized as part of the community. What I, I had I understood that. But what I am coming into now is that while I am a member of the community and I understood that that meant that I was responsible to the community, what I failed to receive and to internalize was that it also meant that the community is responsible for me, right? I have been the kind of person who has trouble asking other people for help, right? I have, I am, I have some brilliant mentors, brilliant mentors who are well-respected in their fields. You know how many of them I have called to help me find a job? None. None. I have some brilliant friends who are really banging out this entrepreneurial thing. Um, because of their visibility, I think they could help me make some of my side hustles pop. You know how many of them I have reached out to? None. Zero. Zilch. You know why? Because I never want to be thought of as the person who takes advantage of other people and who uses other people. And I think, unfortunately, because of the world we live in, we tend to think of collaboration in that way. Some of us think of collaboration in that way. It feels insincere. I don't even like networking. Like when I go to conferences, I find me a table off in the corner. I don't like networking because I never want to come across as fake. Um, there are some people who are there just to trade as many business cards as possible. That kind of shit gets on my nerves um, because I think it's inauthentic. But what I'm learning is that community is there for us to make each other stronger. And sometimes you do have to admit to other people that you need assistance. Um, it is still very hard for me. I still haven't reached out to these. So I'm telling you, I did not reach out. I still have not. And I'm trying to build up the courage to reach out. So if you get a call from me in the next couple of weeks, know that it took me a long time to get up the nerve to ask you for help. But I, I really do now understand that there's an African proverb that says you are not born in, you, when you are born, you are born into community, right? I don't want to disrespect that gift by not using it. Um, and then the, the, there is this understanding that I have that community does not only exist of the people we can see in flesh. Like it's easy for me to call my mom. You know, I might think about calling one of my mentors, 
Um, it's harder for me to say, hey, Nan, who is my deceased, one of my deceased grandmothers, can you help me remember how to um, make gumbo the way you taught me? Right? Because we're conditioned not only to not ask for help, but we're conditioned to even ignore that there are these forces around us. Other than God, I think black folk pretty much know how to talk to God. It ain't too many of us that don't know how to say, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> um, but to remember that there are other kinds of spirits that we can be interacting with, I think, is a, uh, is a way we fail to tap into what could be a greater source of power of an empowerment for us. And to that end, what I have created is on March 24th at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I will be holding a webinar called An Intro to Ancestral Reverence. Um, so here's how it all ties together. So in if you watch Black Panther, the film, there is a lot of African cosmology um, displayed through the imagery, um, even through the plot, uh, especially the role of the ancestors in um, securing and stabilizing um, a community, a culture, a lineage. Um, I think one of the most horrible things that happened to us as a result of the Ma'afa or slavery is that our culture was so under attack that some of us lost pieces of it. Now, I'm not one of those people like E. Franklin Frazier um, believed wholesale that we lost it all. I'm not one of those people. I do recognize that we are a Creole culture, so we created a lot of what we have now from what we could remember from fragments of the past. Um, we made, as the old people in my family say, take what you have and make what you want. We did. We made a way based upon what we did remember and the resources and access we had in the quote-unquote new world. Um, but I do know that we didn't forget it all. We didn't forget it all. Um, but in, in that attack on our culture, I do think there are far too many of us that forget we have access to things we have been conditioned not to have access to. I saw on someone's Facebook page uh, today, there was this rant, this crazy ass rant about uh, how the Black Panther was demonic because he was dealing with the ancestors. And I was like, that is what the hell slavery did, that it took our most precious sacred ideas and philosophies and it distorted it so that some of us think it's, it's demonic. Like, I, I know y'all saw the representative in Florida talking about she thanked God for slavery because if not, she would be in Africa praying to a tree. Uh, you ignorant ass. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I, mm, that's complete misunderstanding of African spirituality. But the, that is what it has done to us. And in so doing, in separating us from those traditions, it has separated us from a source of, of our power. And it's important to me that we have access to our power sources. We need it now more than ever, ways to unite across time and space, ways to access greater um, crevices of our mind, you know, to think more deeply and, and beyond limitation, that kind of just the power of imagination. I think that's what, the Black, what Black Panther as a film has done for me is it has reminded me of the power of imagination. Like if you can imagine a different reality, you can make that reality, right? 
if you never dream, if if Garrett Morgan had never dreamed of a stoplight, he would not have been able to make a stoplight, right? You have to imagine things as you want them to be, not as they currently are. And that is the power of Wakanda. That is this fictional place, right? And it's slightly problematic. I have a problem with the elitism of Wakanda and how it separated itself from the rest of the diaspora. But this... um, that this technologically, economically advanced culture, the juxtaposition, oh my God, the, the imagery, right? The juxtaposition of the traditional with the mod, oh my God, it was beautiful, right? But the ability of an artist to imagine these things now can plant a seed in our own psyches that says that this imagination is something that could be created, right? I can't tell you how many things I'm reading in the news and conversations I'm having with sisters and brothers, and we say to each other, Wakanda can be made real, right? That's the power of art. That's what Asante said. I mean, meant when he said there ain't no such thing as art for art's sake. It's supposed to spark something in you to make you want to do something else, right? And that's the beauty of the the the, the film for me. So again, I'm doing this class because I want people to be able to one understand the imagery that's in the film, but that's a very superficial thing that I want you to be able to do. But two. I want you to think about how you can tap back into that which had been attempted to be stripped away from us. This access to our own lineage, right? Um, eventually, I'll talk about community ancestors. But right now, I'm just talking about how to tap into those people that you share blood with in your own lineage. Um, this is going to sound a little sciency. And I might be spilling a little bit of the class, but I want to say this. You know, um, I took psychopharmacology in undergrad. And you probably learned this in biology. We all know this, that when, you know, your brain cells don't touch, right? The neurons have dendrites that kind of get close to each other, but they don't really touch. And when you're thinking, when there's a nerve impulse or something, it really is like a spark of electricity that travels from, from one dendrite to another, right? It's energy, right? It's energy. That spark of whatever it is is energy. Here's what we know from physics class, right? Energy cannot be created nor destroyed. So when a body, when the carnal flesh is, is gone, what's left is your truest self. And if, if, if my grandmother loved me in her carnal flesh, that gave her limitation. Can you imagine how great her love for me is now that she doesn't have those limitations anymore? So why wouldn't I go to her and say, Nan, show me how to cook that gumbo. She, shit, she taught me when she was in life, and now she don't have limitation? You think she ain't going to help me learn to do it? Come on now. Come on now. How beautiful is that? What is that? And then on the other, the other side of not even tapping into the power and the knowledge and the resources of egg, of ancestors, also called egg, right? Not even thinking about that, but even the whole. What does it do in terms of comfort? I, I'm telling you, when my grandmother passed away, she was she was probably my best friend in life. When she passed away, it was hard for me because I had grown accustomed to learning from her to talking to her often, you know, that kind of thing. When I was an undergrad, I called her every day. We talked every day. 
until you know that wasn't possible but but we did so she was one of my very best friends and sometimes it's sad that I, I don't have that kind of access now but think about how comforting it is to me now knowing that I can continue to have conversations with her like that like she don't talk right back the way she did on the phone but I get the images I get the messages I get the smells I get the premonitions I get the ideas I get the glimpse I, I get oh my god it's a beautiful thing is a beautiful thing and it helps me become more mentally well. Um, and so I just want to share that with people who are interested in learning more about ancestral reverence. Notice I'm not saying ancestor worship. We'll talk about that in class, but um, I wanted to offer that to you. So if you're interested, make sure you send me an inbox at Dr. Tip, D-R-T-I-P at tellemtiptoldyou.com. And I will send you the registration link for class. You can also find it on Eventbrite. So if you go to Eventbrite and you Google an intro to Ancestral Reverence, you'll probably find it. Um, that's kind of all I wanted to talk to you guys about today. I think I, I think I did what I needed to do. Um, I hope that everyone is well. I hope that you are making 2018 everything that it is supposed to be for you we're coming up on the end of our first quarter of the year oh my god time is flying um i just want to make sure we're all doing our best work and becoming our best selves i think that's important and i just want to wish you that good word i hope that again everybody is doing well and living your most full empowered lives if anybody asks you why, tell them to told you. Love you. Bye.